This Sunday, churches around the world will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you really understand what happened at Calvary? And how do you apply that to your life in 2023? We will analyze God's master plan for the human race on this edition of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries, and thank you so much for joining me on this edition of The End Time Show. Now, I want to begin today's program with the truth. Let's begin with the truth about the events that occurred 2,000 years ago. First of all, we've got to get this out of the way. Jesus was not crucified on a Friday. People all around the world would be selling Good, celebrating Good Friday, but he was actually crucified on a Wednesday. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do this program today. And the scripture provides the proof. John 19.31, Bible says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day. Remember that. That Sabbath day, that week, he was crucified. There was an high day, and it besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So Jesus was crucified on Preparation Day, Wednesday, the day before the high day, the Sabbath that week, which means it had to be Friday, right? Well, no. Remember, it says that the Sabbath day was an high day, <clears throat> and that is the difference. During the Jewish Passover, the day of the Passover is a special Sabbath called an high day. This results in two Sabbaths occurring in the same week. The first Sabbath started on Wednesday evening. The second Sabbath was on the regular Sabbath, which occurred on Saturday. But if you don't understand the high day, the first Sabbath, then you would say, well, he had to have been crucified on Preparation Day on Friday. But once you understand there were two Sabbaths that week and he was crucified on Preparation Day, then, he was then you can understand Jesus was crucified and buried on Wednesday before the first Sabbath, before the first Sabbath began, and then he rose early on Sunday morning. So just like the Bible says, he was in the grave Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You say, well, wait on a minute. Wait, hold on a minute, Dave. That's not a traditional teaching. I, I, well, I understand that. But it is a scriptural teaching. Remember, John 19, 31. That provides definitive proof of when Jesus died. And there are other scriptures that show us when he was resurrected. Jesus himself said several times that his time in the tomb would be three days and three nights, just as the prophet Jonah had spent three days and three nights in the fish's belly. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, the Bible says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
So this rules out a Friday crucifixion, Sunday resurrection, because there is no way to cram three days and three nights between sunset on Friday and sunrise on Sunday morning. If Jesus rose exactly three days and three nights after his burial, the only candidate for his resurrection is the very end of the Sabbath at sunset. So, counting back three full days, then Jesus must have died on the previous Wednesday, which would have been um, between the day of the Passover, which would have been the day of the Passover, Wednesday evening. Jesus rose from the dead three days later on Sunday morning. Mark 16, 9. Um, now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, which of course was Sunday. So he rose exactly three days and three nights from his burial, a full 72 hours at sunset as the weekly Sabbath ended. Matthew, uh, what would that be, 16, 1 through 2. Bible says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the, Mary, the mother of Jesus, I'm sorry, Mary, the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And then verse 9 says, now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, so all of these verses prove there were two Sabbaths, a high day on Wednesday, and a weekly Sabbath on Saturday during the week of Jesus' crucifixion, not one. And once you understand that, then you can say, okay, I understand what happened there. It was preparation day, the day before the Passover, and that was Wednesday. And then there was another one that week that was on Saturday. So it's very, very critical that we understand that. Now, I know many of you may be taking Good Friday off, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to understand the truth about the matter here is that Jesus Christ was crucified on Wednesday, not on Friday of that week, because of the two Sabbaths that week. Now, what we're going to do through the remainder of the program is we're going to talk about salvation. Calvary was Jesus' master plan to reverse all the damage done by the first Adam and his wife Eve. By the first man, Adam, death came, and, but by the second Adam, Jesus Christ, eternal life was given to us. And even though eternal life is available, most people are not taking advantage of it. And I want to make sure that we understand that and feel the gravity of that situation. Eternal life is available to the entire human race, but most people are not taking advantage of it. Jesus said of our time, straight is the way, narrow is the gate that leads to life everlasting, and few there be that find it. That's Matthew 7, 14. And that is a complete travesty when it is available for free, but most people just say, well, you know, not, not, that's just not for me. Even though this wonderful gift of eternal life is available, only, the Bible says, Jesus said, 
only a few will find it. And I understand why that is on most counts. I've talked to a, I, I've tried to win souls, I've taught Bible studies, and I've had people say, nah, I, I, that's just not for me, and get up and walk out of the Bible study. And I thought, hold on a second, this is the eternal plan of salvation, and you don't even want to hear it. And so because they knew, they realized that I may have to change my life a little bit, and they were not willing to do that. So they would just walk away. And I, I don't have the answer to that. I'll pray for them that somehow we planted a seed and they will come back. But Jesus said, few there be that find it. We've got to be one of the ones. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 in time. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. Welcome back, everybody. And before we get back into the lesson here, uh, I got a very important announcement. Doug Norvell is beginning, for years, Doug and I held Bible studies at our end time studios here. And because of my travel schedule, I had to get away from that a little bit. Doug moved out to Kilgore, Texas. A lot of different things happen. And, but tomorrow night, Doug is going to start another one of those big Bible studies up here at our television studios. It's going to be in the event center up front and that is at uh, our location is 2701 East George Bush Highway right here in Plano. The Bible study starts at 630 and I guess he's already got a ton of people signed up for it but he just told me before I went on the air that he has room for some more people if anybody wanted to come. So man these Bible studies are so impactful you'll love it. It'll change your life. 
And so if you'd like to join Doug in his Bible study tomorrow night, it's right here at the studio, 630. When you come in the, the, off of George Bush, come in off the service road, come in our front entrance out here, you'll come to the, be the east door between our building and the church. Just park out there, come in that door, walk down the hallway, and the event center's right down there, and you will love it. Doug's a really good Bible study teacher, as you can tell by him being on the radio. And uh, you'll, we did these for years, and so many people's lives were changed. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And so uh, looking forward to seeing everybody here tomorrow night at 6.30 at that Bible study. It's, it's free. All you got to do is come and show up. And he's going to be showing the, our new Understanding the End Time DVDs where I'm teaching it. Irvin Baxter comes on. It's so cool. And so you'll get to see that, and Doug's not going to charge you anything. So tomorrow night, 6.30, right here at our headquarters. You'll love it. Now, um, back into our lesson here for today. Bible says, straight is the way, narrow is the gate that leads to life everlasting. Few there be that find it. Jesus said that. So even though this is an awesome, wonderful gift, it's available to everybody. A lot of people just simply don't want to change their life. And, and we're reaching for everybody. The scripture tells us why. Because broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. That's uh, what, Matthew 7, 13. I had a guy tell me one time, I, I, in, in all the years of ministry, I've talked to, I don't know, th tens of thousands of people. I had a guy tell me one time, I hate to go to funerals because the preacher's always trying to save you. He actually told me that. And I thought to myself, you don't want to be saved? I mean, think about that statement. And the guy's passed on now. Never went to church. And I, he's, he met the Lord in that, situa in that position. Now think about this, everybody. This is, I'm talking about deadly serious. How will you spend eternity? There's, you're going to spend eternity in one of two places. I want to take advantage of everything God has. And I want to, if, I, if there's something in the Word of God I need to know, hey, preacher, tell me. To I, if I, whatever it is, I want to make it. And so I've got to be one of the ones. I mean, I don't care how straight the way is. I don't care how narrow the gate is. I, be, I want to be one of those few that make it in. You say, oh, Dave, everybody's going to be saved. That's not scriptural. I, I wish it was. But not everybody's going to be saved. I know, I've heard people make that statement to me. All, just everybody. I've read articles and different things of teachings going around. And everybody just thinks, well, you know, I'll live life any way I want. And then, but, you know, God's merciful and he'll, he'll take me in before it's all over with. That's not the way scripture puts it. You've got to prepare yourself for the second coming of Jesus Christ if you're going to make it. And that's why we want to understand really what happened around the death, burial, and the resurrection, the act of Calvary. And it'll be, it will be taught in churches all over the world, in Christian churches. But the thing is, is that a, a lot of people will dwell on Easter egg hunts and the Easter bunny and chocolate, this, that, and the other. And the thing is, this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of where will I spend eternity? Do I really understand what happened at Calvary? 
the act of Calvary. So let's get into it because I want to apply what happened 2,000 years ago to my life so I can make it. This is the master plan of Jesus Christ for the, all of the entire human race. But Jesus said, there's only few that there be that find it. So, let me go through the story here real quick. <clears throat> uh, just before the crucifixion, Jesus warned his disciples what was coming in the near future. Luke 18, 31 through 33 says, Then he took um, unto him the twelve. He said unto them, Behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning. I think Doug touched on some of this yesterday about Jesus was fulfilling prophecies, even to the point where when he was hanging on the cross, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. So the Bible says all things that were, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and all things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And every single one of those messianic prophecies, Jesus fulfilled each and every one of them. The Bible says, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and he's going to be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spit upon, and they're going to scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. So Jesus was saying, this was the last act of his life. And then all the prophecies would be accomplished. All the prophecies always come to pass, folks. There's not one that will be left undone before this whole thing's over with. So while Jesus was speaking these words, he was undoubtedly thinking of back to uh, where Isaiah 53, 5. The Bible says, But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He knew what was coming, and he was prophesying. But he was thinking about Isaiah 53. He was going to be fulfilling these prophecies. So this is very important because he was speaking to Jewish people that had been programmed to expect a conquering king. They knew the prophecies of Zechariah that said, hey, when he comes back, he's going to plant his feet upon the Mount of Olives and he's going to fight as he did in the day of battle. They understood that. They know. They thought, well, the, prop, the, the Messiah is coming as a conquering king. But instead, Jesus came the first time. He will come back like a conquering king the second time. But they didn't realize he was going to come twice. And instead, Jesus came to suffer and die. It was an opposite picture of what they were expecting and what they had been programmed their entire life. And there were prophecies about a conquering king, absolutely. But there were also prophecies about a suffering Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And they took the part they liked, and the conquering king, and they kind of ignored the part that they didn't like. Well... Jesus came. I remember years ago, my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, talked to a rabbi over in Israel about uh, Daniel chapter 9, where it talks about the Messiah would be cut off prior to Jerusalem being destroyed um, back in 70 A.D., and the, which would have proved it, Jesus came. Jesus was the Messiah, and He came before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And the rabbi looked at that, and he said, you know, Irvin, I'm not real good with the book of Daniel. He just closed his eyes to it because he didn't want to acknowledge 
that Jesus did in fact was the Messiah and then he came and was cut off. Crucifixion would certainly um, qualify for being cut off, right? So Jesus came not only to suffer and die, but he's getting ready to come back again to fulfill the rest of those prophecies. Every single prophecy is going to come to pass and be fulfilled. Every one. So Jesus told them in advance what was going to happen. He said in John 14, 29, And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it comes to pass you might believe. Prophecy builds faith in the Word of God. And this is incredible part, an incredible part of Bible prophecy. And when we see these things prophesied 2,000 or 2,500 years uh, in advance, when they come to pass in most, the most intricate detail, all of a sudden our faith soars and we realize things are not really out of control. God's in control of this whole mess. But He's allowing man mankind to govern themselves because He's letting them know, you can't govern yourselves, you need me. If you don't have God in your life, if I didn't have God in my life right now and trust Him and have hope and faith and trust in God, knowing what I know about what's going on in the world, there would be an element of fear in my life. However, because I know that God is in absolute control and He controls my life, I've yielded my life up to Him, then I know God's in control and we, li we live in a very chaotic world. But when I've got my hand in God's hand, there, I don't fear. I'm not worried about it because God will lead and guide me by His Spirit. He's going to help me navigate times just ahead. And just like Pharaoh couldn't get to the children of Israel when they were going into the, to the Red Sea, it looked like Israel was going to be destroyed. They were caught between the, Israeli, the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, but God said, Nope, I got you guys. I'm going to split the Red Sea. You're going through on dry ground. The Egyptian army is going to come in behind you, and I'm going to wipe them out. So I don't care how bleak and chaotic this world looks. If you've got God on your side, you've got a winning hand, period. So, draw close to the Lord. Make sure you're born again. Make sure you're ready to go. Make sure you're in the few that are in that straight and narrow because those are the ones that are going to make it. Okay, we're talking about the act of Calvary today. Now, I'm very happy to say that God is not in the chaos. The chaos is mankind. God is, he, he hasn't lost a wink of sleep over any of this. His palms are not sweating. Everything's in total perfect control and going as God wants it. Think about that. But a lot of people are getting shaken. Oh, Dave, but uh, is that and the other? And I'm like, look, we're, we talk about these things that are happening in the near future, but I'm not rattled by it because I know I'm serving the one that created this planet. And I'm not, I'm not scared. And you shouldn't be either as long as you're on that straight and narrow. If you're not, then that's, we need to have that conversation. Call me. Email me. Email Doug. And we'll get you, we'll help you. Show you what to do. This is, what, this, is why we, this is why this whole program exists. We're, we're not doing this because we want to make money. That's not the goal. The goal here is to get as many people, because in the very near future, Jesus Christ is coming back. And we've got to be ready to meet Him. Okay, wow, we're going to have to get going here. So uh, a few days later, 
After the triumphal entry, Jesus knew that his time had come. He called his disciples together to prepare to have the, the Lord's Supper uh, with them, and he converted the Passover ritual to the Lord's Supper ritual. Passover ritual was to look forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to look forward to that. From that point forward, the Lord's Supper would be in remembrance to look back to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He transformed the Passover observance to the Lord's Supper. And they, the, the, uh, in the Old Testament, they look forward um, in the Old Testament, but today we remember, we remember, we look back to the act of Calvary and to the Lord's Supper and everything that happened. I'm not looking, uh, I don't need a physical bull or a goat to be sacrificed for my salvation. I look back to the act of Calvary when a spotless lamb would die. Now, Jesus said, as often as you do these things, do them in remembrance of me. We're looking back now. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25. So after the Lord's Supper, we see that this fateful encounter when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I've chosen 12 of you and one of you is a devil. Now imagine being one of his apostles and he says that. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, well, you know, who is it? Is it me, Lord? And he just, he just looked at them. But already Judas had been to the high priest and had already agreed on a price. And Jesus said, whoever it is that dips his bread in the cup with me, it's him who will betray me. Remember, the prophecy, um, the prophecy said, uh, my own familiar friend that did eat of my bread, he shall betray me. That's all the way back in Psalm 41.9. So there are so many prophecies being fulfilled. Boom, 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 right down the line. They're fulfilling every single one of them. Well, this is what's happening here. Psalm 41.9 is being fulfilled. So as the night wore on and they had the supper and things were happening, all of a sudden Jesus reached for the cup and someone's knuckles grazed his knuckles and he looked into the eyes of Judas. They locked and said, whatever you do, Judas, do quickly. The rest of those guys, they didn't have a clue, man. They were just partying and having this big supper and Jesus said, whatever you do, Judas, you do quickly. Judas slips off into the night. And after Judas left, Jesus, Jesus gathered his disciples and they headed for prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I'm giving you a storyline here. You can, all of this is in the Bible. You can go read word for word. I'm, I'm trying to get through a lot of material. But this is what happened. And I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to go through this story and then I'm going to show you before the program's over how you can apply what happened at Calvary to your life. Because if you don't make that connection, then what was the point in all of it? If I can't apply what happened back then to my life in 2023 and change my life, what's the point in all of this, right? So I want to be one of the few that enter in. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part Two, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding 
Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. So Jesus and his disciples, they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, which is if you understand where the Temple Mount is in Israel, you have the Kidron Valley, and then right on the other side of that, right up on the slopes of the Mount of Olives is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And for all of you that are, have signed up for the tour, I think there's well over 80 people now. Uh, we'll be there here in just about a month, and we'll be going to the Garden of Gethsemane. But... Jesus, or, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they go to gar the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he leaves his disciples at the edge of the garden to pray. This is in Luke uh, 22, 41 through 42. And the Bible says, And as he was withdrawn from them, about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So Jesus... He was in agony, and he, he sweated as great drops of blood. I mean, he was so intense in prayer that he was sweating as he prayed. But what was his agony all about? There's great topics going on about this. If you do some research on this stuff, what, was it because he didn't want to suffer and die? Absolutely not. There have been many leaders and people in military and different things that have died throughout history without this type of agony. Was it because he was a coward? Absolutely no. That wasn't what his agony was all about. He wasn't afraid to die. But he was wrestling with something much bigger than that. It's revealed in his words. Uh, the Bible says, if, this, if it be possible... Remove this cup from me. Well, what cup is he talking about? Well, Jesus had never tasted sin. Never. He had known nothing but holiness all of his existence, which extended all the way back to eternity, right? So the core of God is holy. Be ye holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Around the throne today, there are angels saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. All of a sudden, the God who had made himself into a man said, I've got to taste sin and die for the sins of the world. And I'm not going to actually commit sin, 
but the sins of the world will be imputed to me. Big difference there, okay? A lot of people don't understand that. But the thought of compromising the nature of God and actually being made sin for us was almost more than Jesus could bear. So he screamed, if, if there's any way, any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then, as all prayer meetings should end, he concluded by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's where all of our prayer meetings should take us, right? Ultimately, we have to bring our flesh under subjection to God, who knows better, and, and we're able to say, let thy will be done, Lord, in my life. And those are the ones that will make it. You've got to be in subjection to Jesus Christ. And Jesus wrestled with the cup of sin until he finally said, you know what? I'll do it. Not my will, but thy will be done. Oh, so the crucifixion. John 19, 17 through 18. The Bible says uh, he goes before Pilate. I'm not going to go through every detail. You guys will all hear it on Sunday, right? But he goes before Pontius Pilate. He's, he is, um, the, the sentence has been handed down. Well, I'm going to jump to John 19, uh, down about verse 17. The Bible says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull. You guys that are going to Israel with us, we're going to be right there as well. And it's called in the Hebrew tongue, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, Either, either um, one on uh, one side, one on the other. Jesus was in the midst, the Bible says. And they crucified Jesus the day before Passover. Again, it was uh, preparation day. Back in Egypt, you remember, the children of Israel had a Passover lamb. What was the purpose of the lamb? To guard them from death. The death angel. Remember, the death angel... After the, the, the nine plagues, this is the tenth plague, the death angel was going to passing through, but if they killed a lamb and applied the blood to the doorpost of the house, when the angel saw the blood, he passed over the house. This is where we get Passover from. Because there was a substitutionary death there. Blood had already been shed. This was a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Almighty God was weaving His plan uh, 1,500 years in advance. And He already had His plan set in His mind. He had created, He had already created the Passover, okay, where blood would be shed for the atonement for, of our sins. You, know, you, see this, you see the connection here? John the Baptist did not know what he was saying when, he, when Jesus walked on the shores of the Jordan River to be baptized. John made his pronouncement. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Well, now it was coming to fruition. And this was the focal point of the plan of God for all of the ages. Without, without the act of Calvary, we would be stuck. I mean, it would be not good. But Jesus was killed on Preparation Day, the day before the Passover, and that's when they killed their lamb. Actually, Jesus had been out of town, and He told His disciples, I must walk today and tomorrow, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. 
Well, he knew he had to get there and he was going to be crucified on Passover. He, he already knew what was going to happen. When they put him on the cross, he was the Passover lamb who would be our remedy from death. And this is, this is why the act of Calvary. He came to die so we wouldn't have to. He came to break the law of sin and death. I'll get to that in a moment. So as he's hanging on the cross, there was one more prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Jesus cried out and he said, I thirst. And they found vinegar for Jesus to drink. Dipped a sponge in vinegar and put it on the end of a stick and they shoved it into his mouth. And it fulfilled a prophecy. The prophecy, by, 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 by Psalms uh, 69, 21. The Bible says, In my suffering they gave me gall and vinegar to drink. When he was hanging on the cross, he was fulfilling Bible prophecy. John 19.30 tells us, um, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Well, Jesus didn't stop short, and he accomplished his mission. Everything he was supposed to do, he did. He came to break the chains of sin and Satan. Satan thought it was his greatest victory ever, but it was his greatest defeat. So Jesus came to save mankind. Now, there are people that make fun of him. There are people that use his name in vain every day and could care less about Jesus. But Jesus paid the ultimate price. He had never sinned, but he came to die for you and me so our sins could be imputed to him and his righteousness could be imputed to us. That's the act of Calvary. So he came to save mankind, to create a plan of salvation that could deliver the human race from sin. Jesus died so you and I would not have to die. He died in our place. I'm talking about spiritually here. He, did our, he died in our place. When Jesus said, it is finished, he, he meant that he had provided everything needed for our salvation and also to restore us back to the original purpose for the creation of mankind, which was to bring back sonship. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost their sonship. And then there, there were no more human sons of God from that time all the way through the Old Testament until Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but once Jesus Christ died on the cross, a sinless human being... He broke the law of sin and death. And now you and I, once you're born again, we are sons and daughters of God. We have the sonship role again. And so, very important, wasn't it? The act of Calvary, it was the, it was, it's the center of the Bible. The, the Bible centers on two events. The first and second coming of Jesus Christ. He came the first time. So to buy, purchase a plan of salvation so we would be prepared for when he comes back the second time. Now, I talked to you about Doug's Bible study that will happen here tomorrow night. Doug's going to walk you through all this in great detail. I, don't, I only have less than an hour today. 
But Doug will be taking you through all of this. You say, well, how am I born again? What am I going to do? Doug will take you through that. Plus, you can go to uh, endtime.com slash reborn. I mean, it's all on our website, everything. So, and, and I'll get into some of it if we have time here. So, as this wonderful, incredible drama was taking place as Jesus died, suddenly the sun covered its face and it refused to look at this event. Now, it, it was a dark day. It, it was. Our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is dying. I mean, He had suffered immensely. And it's, it's a dark day when the creature kills its creator, right? And this is what's happening. The rocks burst. The earth shook to let everyone know this was more than just a man that just said, it is finished. It's, it was so much more than that. Well, the next day, the, the next day was the Sabbath because it was, a, that. remember I told you earlier, it was the special Sabbath called a high day. They had to get Jesus off the cross. So John 19, 38, the Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly uh, for fear of the Jews, so he was a secret disciple, but he besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, permission. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there also came Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. You remember Jesus in John 3, Nicodemus, okay. And he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And in the times of crisis, you know, some people, they wimp out. Well, uh, you know, when, when the pressure's on, some people just, they crack. But there are other people. During the end time, this is what's going to happen. There will be people who have been in the shadows, but when things really come down, people are going to step up and say, hey, you guys, what do you need me to do? What, what do we do here? We're trying to reach the world. What's it cost? What do you need me to do? Can I volunteer? What do I got to do here? And that was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a wealthy guy, and he provided the tomb for Jesus. We, again, we, there's a picture of it right behind me. This is the actual tomb, and that's the door. When you close the door, the Bible says, He is not here, He is risen. And again, for you, those of you that are going on tour with us, we'll be here in about a month. And Joseph of Arimathea provided the tomb for Jesus, and he placed Jesus in his own tomb, and that was another fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I mean, it's just one right after another, and uh, we'll talk about that more when we get back from the break here. It's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, 
please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Okay, so let's wrap this up here. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he placed Jesus in his own tomb, and he was fulfilling the scripture in Isaiah 53, 9. The Bible says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. So he died between two wicked thieves and was buried in the tomb of a rich man. And this is another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He fulfilled every single one of them. So they buried him in the tomb, and three days later, Matthew 28, 22 uh, through 4, reveals, uh, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for, and for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, they did shake and became his dead man. The soldiers that were there watching and guarding it. So the people heard Jesus say that he was going to rise again. And they went to Pilate and they said, Hey, we need to put a guard uh, at the tomb because the disciples, they're going to come and try to steal him away. And they're going to try to make it uh, up this big myth that, he rose from the dead, and then he was uh, going to have a bigger mess on it. We're going to have a bigger mess on our hands than we had before. And Pilate, Pilate said, well, make it as sure as you can. In other words, you guys take care of it, no matter what. So they marched out to the grave with this huge band of soldiers. And the soldiers, they, they, they asked them, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're guarding this dead man so he doesn't get away. Now, imagine... We're guarding this dead man. I would not want to be a soldier that had to say that. But the soldiers were guarding the tomb of Jesus. And by doing so, though, they really validated the resurrection because they removed their ability to say, well, we were overpowered by 11 hapless fishermen. I mean, this would have brought shame on the Roman legions, right? So when the angel came and rolled back the stone, the soldiers became like dead men. They just fell back. There wasn't nothing they could do. Well, in the meantime, the disciples, they came to the tomb on the first day of the week. In Luke 24, 3-5, the Bible says, And they entered in, they found not the body of Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So that's the act of Calvary. The death, the burial, and the resurrection, which gives us hope of rising someday, right? Without Jesus Christ rising, we would have no hope of, a, of, a, of rising. A resurrection, the dead that are in Christ, or us going to be with them and meet them in the air. 
so shall we ever be with the Lord. There would be no hope of that if Jesus Christ had not resurrected from the dead. But now we have a hope. Everybody listening to me has a hope. You say, Dave, I, I, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Man, I've done some horrible sins and there's no way. I'll never crack the door of a church open because the ceiling will fall in. You know what? I've been going to church pretty much my whole life and I've never seen a ceiling fall in yet. And I've saw some dastardly people walk in that door. You know what? I've been dastardly. I backslid once in my life and, and I was, it was, I've done some crazy things in my life. And I've never had the ceiling fall in on me because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for me. And he died on the cross for every single one of you. You say, but I'm living in an LGBTQIA plus lifestyle. I do not care. Jesus Christ came to save you. You say, but Dave, I've committed adultery. Jesus came to save you. But Dave, I am a drug addict. Jesus loves you and came to save you. But Dave, I am a, I'm a heathen sinner and I run around and I do, you know, I just hit the bars and I do whatever I want and, and God couldn't love me. That's a lie from Satan. I don't care what you've done, where you're at in your life. God loves you and he wants to save you. Don't believe a lie from Satan. I had that guy tell me one time, I don't like to go to funerals because got, the pastor is always trying to save you. Well, that guy is passed on now. He met his Savior. Think about that. we got to get things right now. Jesus Christ paid the price. He loves you. He wants to save you. But you've got to come to Him. Have a desire. The Bible says, The day you seek me with your whole heart, I will be found of you. So, you say that you can't be saved or that I've got done too much sin. No, no, come on. What really happened at Calvary? Can we apply what happened 2,000 years ago to me? What did the coming of Jesus to earth really mean for me personally? If I'm too far gone and God can't save me, then the act of Calvary was for naught. But that's simply not true. One scripture answers this question. The Bible says it's found in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. <clears throat> the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, all that sin, you say, well, I've got this sin. All that can be washed away. If any man is in Christ, if any man's been born again, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to him, by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Not in, here it is, this is very key. Not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Our sins were imputed to him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that, I'm telling you, once you get that concept in your mind, it will change your life forever. You can apply what happened to Calvary 
to you and you don't have to worry about your sins, that's all the sins you've ever done. Everybody on this planet is sin. Nobody out there needs to say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. No, everybody's sinned. But when verse 17 says, I can become a new creature, does that literally mean Jesus Christ can turn a lost human being into a new person? Absolutely it does. So here's the thing. Sin separates people from God. And that's a very dangerous spot to be in. However, verse 18 says <clears throat> that we can be reconciled to God. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, the Latin word concilio means bring together. The prefix re, re means again. So the word reconcile means to bring together again. You were the, and all of us were separated from God by sin. But this scripture says we can be reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. What he did on Calvary. How do, how, you say, well, how does that work? Verse 19, the Bible, um, there it says, God reconciled us unto himself by not imputing our trespasses to us. What does it mean when it says they will, he will not impute our trespasses to us? The word impute means to place on the account of or to attribute to. So the secret is that once we are in Christ, by being born again, God will no longer impute our trespasses to us. You say, well, that's not fair. How, how could that possibly be? Well, verse 21 here explains it all. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He had never sinned. But our sins, once you're born again, your sins are imputed to Him and His righteousness. The Bible says that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. His righteousness is imputed to us. It's imputation. Once you understand that, it'll change your walk with God. Jesus never sinned, but He loved us so much, He volunteered to, for our sins to be imputed to Him so that His righteousness could be imputed to us. And, you know, there was a law that ruled the human race from Adam until Christ. It's called the law of sin and death. And it's defined in Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul that, of the Father, and also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So there it is. The soul that sins, it's got to die. All of us lived under the law of sin and death. However, God loved us so much, He didn't want us to die. And so he designed a plan to save us from the law of sin and death. God said, I will become a man and will be tempted like every other human being. However, I will not yield to those temptations. I'm going to live a sinless life. And consequently, I won't deserve to die. I've never sinned. I'm not under the law of sin and death. But I'm going to trick Satan into killing me who had the power, who had the keys of death and hell. And when Satan kills me, he will have broken the law of sin and death because only the soul that sins must die. Once the law of sin and death is broken, Satan is no longer going to be enforced. That, that contract's null and void. So Romans 8, 1, 8, 1 through 2 explains it this way. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There are a lot of Christians walking around today who have, who have been born again, but they still live under condemnation. 
But it's not supposed to be like that. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, remember, has made me free from the law of sin and death. When a person is, you say, well, how do I apply what happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary? And why, why do Christians, why do they so celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That the resurrection power, when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's my resurrection power on the day and on the rapture day. The Bible says, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, then my mortal body will be changed to, my, will be changed to immortal and my feet are going to leave the ground one of these days. So when a person is born again, they do not owe the bill of sin any longer, which is only paid by death. That's, G, that's Calvary. Jesus paid our bill through His death. We now have the promise of eternal life. But here's the key. You must be born again. John 3, 7. Remember, um, or in John 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, this would be John, um, yeah, John 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus, except a man's born again, he can't see, can't see the kingdom of God. Down in uh, John 3, 7, Jesus said, Marvel not, I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So it's of utmost importance. I can obey the act of Calvary, which is the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. The good news that Jesus Christ died, He was buried, and He rose again. I can obey the gospel by repenting, being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I can be born again. If you want to read all about that, go to uh, endtime.com slash reborn. Be born again. Be taken out from under the law of sin and death and apply what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago to your life, and then you can start on the straight and narrow, and you can be one of the ones that makes it. God bless.